What's up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC. Great rip. Deep dive to all things Noster, Lightning Network, touch on inscriptions, and how bullish we are. Sat down with Miles Snyder from Collider. I think we're going to do a lot of these episodes. Miles, what did you think, Logan? Did you like the conversation? I did. Wait, am I? Your mic's not on. He's got it. It's unplugged. It's unplugged. You don't. You're not to worry. He liked it. I've got to hop in the car here, so we got to do a quick, quick intro here. I know you guys love listening to me for ten minutes before each episode, but I got to make this one quick. Uncle Marty's got to go. Uh, going to read the top four boostograms from the last two episodes because I forgot to do it for the last one. Rip three ninety six. How to get hired in Bitcoin with Bitcoin Talent Co. At Mark C five thousand sats resume sent. I wish you luck. At Loomer, 2,000 sats. Signal at Dick Rulla, 500 sats. We're going to win. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt, rocket ship emoji. At Get Stalt, 333 sats. Great rip. Any update on the design bounty? Uh, yes, there has been. You can go to the Bitcoin Talent Co. I believe it's at Bitcoin Talent Co. Twitter page. And the details to design bounty are there. Uh, Rip 395, how the jabs killed gut health with Dr. Sabine Hazan. Hazen, excuse me. At Garth, 20,000 sats. Prayer hands emoji. At I am Mr. Robot, 8,008 sats. A nice boob boost. Uh, jabs and boosters, biggest perpetrated psyop in history. It's definitely up there in my mind. At Blockchain Bug, 5,000 sats. Pod fits nicely with the real Fauci book by Bobby Kennedy. Thank you, Dr for being an independent thinker and following the data and not your ego at Mark C 5,000 sats found no agenda through you and decided not to poison myself because of them. Thanks. Let's just hope shedding isn't real. You guys want to go listen to that episode. A lot of jab talk in the beginning here. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at river river is a Bitcoin company built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. Uh, the core of this company is an exchange. If you want to buy Bitcoin, you're going to want to do it at river they build their own infrastructure they don't leverage any third parties like prime trust they built the exchange the right way they build it themselves if you hold bitcoin on rivers exchange you can know that your bitcoin is safe in a multi-sig wallet and 100 percent backed by reserves they don't rehypothecate anything they do it the right way above board uh if you dollar cost average using river if you set up your dca you're not going to pay any fees on those buys if you want to get into mining, they have mining services. If you're a Lightning Network developer and you want to build, River has their River Lightning Services API where you can build Lightning apps using that API. Uh, you may have your exchange. You may like think if you're buying Bitcoin on like Coinbase or like Kraken and like you're tired of all the shit coins, go to an exchange that's doing it the right way. River. Go to river.com slash TFTC. Sign up. Set up an account today. Uh if you buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin using the TFTC uh, ref link, you're going to get $20 after you buy 1000 worth of Bitcoin into your account. If you buy 10000 that goes up to 80 so you can get $100 of free Bitcoin if you begin buying Bitcoin on River. River.com slash TFTC. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends down the hall, Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. This uh, really materializes in their vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig. You hold two keys, Unchain holds one. As long as you have your two keys, you have control of your Bitcoin. 
If you're ever in a pinch, you know, Unchained to be the second in a two or three multi-sig quorum, second signature. Uh, they're there for you. Uh, they have a white glove concierge service. If you go to unchained.com slash consultation, set up a consultation with their concierge team. They'll walk you through the process of what multi-sig is, how their vault system works. If you want to set up a vault, they'll send you hardware wallets, walk you through getting those set up, backed up, geographically distributed to eliminate single points of failure in your backup model. Uh, and then they'll help you set up the vault. Uh, you can buy Bitcoin directly from Unchained and send it to cold storage. Uh, they have an IRA product where you can transfer your IRA to Bitcoin and hold your own keys as well. They're really doing it the right way, leveraging Bitcoins and native multi-sig properties. Go to unchained.com slash consultation. Tell them the TFTC sent you. You'll get $50 off your concierge onboarding consultation. This rope is also brought to you by our good friends at CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is here to change the way you pay for your healthcare. Uh, incumbent health insurance industry is very opaque, very expensive. Uh, CrowdHealth is here to change that. It's not health insurance. What you do is you pay a monthly fee that builds up in an account. If you ever have a health event where you need to pay a medical bill, you go to your doctor, you get the bill, give it to CrowdHealth. They go back to the doctor and negotiate the price lower. Doctors are willing to do this because they get paid out in cash immediately, which they like. So they'll give a lower price. Uh, you pay the first $500 of that bill, and then uh, you send it out to the CrowdHealth community to get crowdfunded. Uh, so far, 100% of bills have been paid. I can't guarantee that, but it seems to be a very good incentive model. To date, me and my family are on CrowdHealth. We like it particularly because it's a community of healthy people. There are some uh, credentials you have to meet to get into the CrowdHealth community. You have to be relatively healthy. And because of this, the overall healthcare cost of the CrowdHealth community is lower than uh, what you're seeing in the insurance agency industry. Uh, if you're somebody who's been laid off recently, unfortunately, um, due to the tech layoffs, and you don't want to pay COBRA, which is really expensive, this is a great uh, cheap option, relatively cheap option that works. I use it. My family uses it. We love it. Go to joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Sign up. The first six months of your CrowdHealth uh, subscription fee are going to be $99, which is a great discount. Um, joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Last but not least, we mentioned that a lot of people are going through layoffs right now. Uh, if you're one of those individuals in the tech sector who was working at a tech company, really enamored with Bitcoin, and you want to break into the, the Bitcoin industry, uh, Bitcoin Talent Co. is here to help you do that. This is a dedicated recruiting firm that is built by Bitcoiners that understand the needs that companies in the space have and are working to be that bridge between the companies and the talent that wants to get in the space. So maybe you're one of those individuals at a tech company or a bank that is really into Bitcoin, but you don't have uh, a network of individuals that you know inside the Bitcoin industry. Bitcoin Talent Co. is here to bridge that gap for you. Uh, go to bitcointalent.co, tell them the TFTC sent you, uh, and start looking for jobs in the Bitcoin space. As you'll see in this rip with Miles, things are very bullish right now. A lot is getting built. We need good talent in the space. Bitcoin Talent Co. is here to place that talent at companies. So likewise, if you're a company looking for really good talent to help you build out your product and your company, you should sign up for Bitcoin Talent Co. Reach out to them. They will create curated tracks for your individual company. They will work to understand your needs and really find the best talent that you need. And these guys are best suited to do it because they understand Bitcoin and they have built Bitcoin companies and they understand what each different company needs. So go to bitcointalent.co, 
Tell them that TFTC sent you and enjoy this rip with Miles Snyder. Dickie. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Are we going to get Parker Lewis? Are we on? Yeah, we're on. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think that, uh, I think eventually we'll get him. But I think it's useful to have voices like his right now. They're pushing back on it, you know? Yeah, what time is it? It's 10, 18. We just sat down with Parker for like half an hour trying to pitch Noster. He thinks it's a big distraction. And I think he he does have a fair point there. Like, I think that. You know, speaking as a Bitcoiner who's probably been pretty distracted by Nostra recently, I mean, it's not a full distraction because there's still so much Bitcoin crossover happening. But I do see his point with sort of shiny object syndrome. And if there are people who are sort of like building core lightning or Bitcoin infrastructure that are now much more focused on building Nostra infrastructure, then maybe that does maybe Bitcoin does lose out on something in the process. Yeah. That's one thing I mentioned to him. Like, is Bitcoin in the second layers? Obviously not fully fleshed out, but fleshed out to a point where it's okay to go work on these shiny objects because it acts as an additive feature, like we were saying. Yeah. Right before we hit record, it seems like Noster has been this Trojan horse orange pill for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think the question is like, is maybe there's some uh attention that's being taken away from certain Bitcoin development, but on the whole is Noster net positive for Bitcoin. Uh, and I think it's definitely too early to say that, but I think there's other ways in which it could be really good for Bitcoin, such as new people who have never been using lightning or Bitcoin before who are being onboarded onto Noster and are now orange build basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's fast. It's been fascinating to watch. But like, I also oh, yeah. think, you know, Parker had interesting points that I, I think are important for people like us who are excited about Nostra to consider, which is like thinking about, you know, what does it actually look like for people to be using Nostra? Are people willing to pay for relays? Like, does the end state of this actually look that decentralized or is it going to fall victim to it a, lot, a lot of the same centralization pressures that um, other kind of platforms and protocols have have experienced? And I think all those are good questions. Very good questions. I'm not going to put words in Parker's mouth, but I do think he's discounting that that ability to, let's say, Domus, like he was using Domus as mm -hmm. an example, becomes a centralized client, and they create a relay on top of it that becomes hyper-centralized. Um, that ability to exit yeah. via your private public key pairs is an extreme check on the balance of powers in that that arena of this communications protocol and the, the clients that'll be built on top of it. So down the road, yeah. if that situation does arise, all it takes is somebody to spin up a new client in a different relay and you just port it over there. Yeah. And there already are like there already are multiple clients. Domus isn't the only client. It's definitely the one that's most used. But if you want to access the network, you absolutely can access the network without touching Domus. And the the kind of like example that I brought up was if you think about Twitter right now, 
if you say something that Twitter doesn't like and it's whether Jack's running it or Elon's running it, like at the end of the day, they can create the rules. And if you say something they don't like, they can ban you from the platform. And that's that. Whereas like in this world, it's almost like imagine that you controlled your account regardless and they could ban you from Twitter, but there's like Twitter dark and there's Twitter two and you can still access those and people who want to follow you can still follow you on those. So it's sort of like that would actually be a much better situation than what we have with Twitter right now. You yeah. Know, even if there were just a couple major clients that you could use, but the core function of like banishing a user and making their existence disappear is taken away from any of those clients. Yeah. No, I think it's important to really touch on the vernacular here. Like when you say like your followers can go follow you on those other clients, there's no action needed. They just need to access those other clients. And yeah. if they're already following your pub key, they will yeah. be following you there. They yeah. don't need to go find you. Yeah. And actually it's really, it's more likely, I think in the Noster just, world that it wouldn't be the clients that would be banning you. It would be like the relays. And so in theory, a user could actually, you know, even if a relay bans you, someone who's following you on some client can still use that same client and continue following you, just making sure that they're connected to the new relay that you're connected to. Yeah. That's funny. Now I'm thinking about it. Like they're not following you in the sense that they're following your profile page. Yeah. Associated with your pub key. They're like following you to that new relay. Yeah. They're basically, they're following a public key and they're telling a relay, give me all the information you know about this public key. And that relay needs to be one that you're writing to as well, right? Because otherwise that relay is not going to have any information regarding your public key. So it's like, I've been spending a ton of time thinking about Noster recently. And the simplest way I can describe it is that you basically have three components, which is like the key pairs. Those are the users. There's the clients. That's how the users uh, sort of like access the network. Those are the UIs. And then there's the relays, which are the servers. And everything about Noster comes down to the interaction between those three components. And so a lot of, I think, figuring out one, how to make this like usable just in general for everyday users um, is a lot of thinking around how those components interact. But then also, I think even more importantly, is like if this is going to be a very robust free speech protocol, we need to make sure that there's ways in which users who have something to say, who are followed by people can be banned by a client or by a relay. And then the people who want to hear what they have to say are still able to like find them and follow them and connect to the relays that they're connected to. And right now, a lot of that is kind of like technical and um, a little bit like you have to kind of understand these network components and figure them out. But I think that there's ways that we could make that a lot more seamless. Yeah. And I mean, I was going back. I thought I recorded my first episode with JB55 like a year ago, but I went back look through the tapes. It was just six months ago, yeah. uh, towards the end of the summer in 2022. And right after we recorded that episode, I downloaded Domus, uh, created my private public key pair, my profile and sent out a few, a few like, hello world. Is this mm -hmm. working? Uh, messages on Noster and seeing where Domus, particularly as a client has come from that point to now, like it's not hard to imagine that these experiences that you just described will will materialize at some point in the next 12, 24 months. Absolutely. I mean, I I only got onto Domus like a month and a half ago when it finally was fully available in the App Store. Um, so prior to that, I was just using web clients. 
and even, you know, I basically was using like uh, Hamster, Snort Social, and Iris, uh, switching between them. And the amount of progress that has been made on just those three clients in like four months time is incredible. And if you extrapolate that out, I think that, yeah, there's a ton of improvements that can be made. And these clients in some ways are sort of like competing with each other to offer the best user experience. So that like forces them to, to keep iterating. And one thing that's been cool to see is that different clients handle these components we talked about in different ways. You know, some clients kind of make relays really front and center and make that kind of a core part of you as a user figuring out how to use uh, the platform is like selecting the relays. Some kind of abstract that and like the the competition between these uh, clients, I think will help us figure out which of those approaches actually makes sense. Yeah. And as we're finding, it's important to connect to good relays. Yes. I, I actually, uh, I was going to say I tweeted it, but I didn't. What's, what's the proper <laughs> word? I posted it. I posted a note on, um, on Noster about this, which was basically in all my time using the network, the biggest improvements that I had in UX didn't come from clients. They came from selecting the right relays. Yeah. And so what's your thought? I mean, we've been talking about this, mm-hmm. Miles and I. I'm sitting out Miles Snyder, by the way. Hey, everyone. <laughs> um, we've been hanging out in the comments talking about this. I've caught the Nostra bug pretty hard and just thinking of ways. Because, I mean, yes, the user experience uh, has gotten a lot better and there's a lot of potential there on the experience side and the design side. But the business-minded part of me is like, holy crap, there's like an opportunity here, mm-hmm. especially early on. If you can figure out how to create a beefy relay that does indexing and filtering correctly, like there's a, there's a very profitable business opportunity here. Yeah. And I think that like right now, 90% probably of users on Noster also have a lightning wallet just because there, there's such a crossover there. And so what you've seen is people who have introduced paid services on Noster have found willing sets of customers like immediately who are willing to to pay them over the lightning network for those services. And I think the first, the first paid relay that I saw was, I think uh, the Zebedee guys did. And it was like 2000 sats to access the relay. And uh, it was, you know, it was a no brainer for me and a ton of other people just immediately paid because the um, having a good relay can like really change your user experience. And so right now you've seen, there's a, a website called relay.exchange that lists all the different paid relays and they're between a thousand and 200,000 sats to enter. Um, and I think that there is a big opportunity there. Cause basically what you have right now is you have all these paid relays that cost different amounts of money and they don't really tell you anything about like what, their relay does better or worse than others. So I think for me, I was kind of like, for some of them, I'm like, should I just buy the most expensive one and assume that that's like <laughs> the best one? But I don't think that's uh, necessarily the case. But I think a good relay that explains its value proposition and it tells you exactly what it's going to give you above and beyond a, a free relay, I would pay far more than 2,000 sats for that. Um, and not only would I pay a one-time fee, but I'd pay a recurring fee. And I think that's I think there's a lot of people just like me. Yeah. And so I think you're further into the weeds than I am on the, the relay side of things. What makes a good relay in your mind? So I think right now the 
paid relays that are on the like lower tier of, of cost. It's just a sort of spam prevention mechanism because with Noster, you know, the ability to, to just spin up a key pair means that anyone can access the network for a very low cost. So it's very easy to like send a bunch of spam to the network. Um, so being on a relay there requires an admission fee paid over lightning, just kind of like prevent is, is the most basic prevention measure you can take. Um, so that helps a lot. And it also means that the relays themselves aren't inundated with all this information and thus they can like store and index and serve the information that you want to see better. Um, what I think I would like to see in more paid relays is them giving me information about sort of their like performance. Um, like I said there, if you go on relay.exchange, you can see this list of, of paid relays that exist on the network. But as far as I've seen, none of them are really saying like, hey, this is sort of like the infrastructure stack we're operating or this is how we're running the relay. Um, I would like to compare relays based on like latency and performance and how fast they can serve things and, and all of that. Because, um, yeah, that ultimately makes the Nostra user experience what it is. Well, I joined my first paid relay yesterday. And actually Which one came, did you join? Um, I think it was like Bitcoin Maximus. Maximus. Okay. Noster, but it wasn't because it was Bitcoin Maximus. There was a relay exchange site similar to that. It wasn't that site, but it had the latency. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. There is one that does show, I think, latency. So I picked, I picked the, the relay with the lowest latency. Yeah. Um, and decided I paid ten thousand sats for it. Yeah. One-time yeah. entry fee. Um, and I think the one-time entry fee right now is just because that's the easiest thing to implement. But like one of the things that so. Uh, yeah, like, so I'm, I work at Collider, uh, which is a, a lightning network company. Um, and we're also building on Noster. And one of the things we did recently was in our lightning wallet, we made it so that you can get a notification to your Noster DMs anytime you get a deposit to your lightning wallet. And it's just kind of a cool feature that we're playing around with to see how you could bridge this like decentralized messaging protocol with lightning. Um, but one of the things that you could do with that as well is like just make a recurring uh, payment for um, for a relay. You know, you could make it so that every month you get a DM to your, um, you know, to your Nostra profile goes directly to a client. And, you know, some clients are now going to be integrating wallets and you could just like pay an invoice right from there. And then you get access to that relay again for a month. Well, even within like, I imagine you guys could build it out in the Collider wallet extension, which allows you to store your Noster private public key pair, mm. like you can make it so like you can go into your settings of Glider Wallet and say, hey, if this relay pings me and asks me to pay an invoice, just automatically pay it up to a certain limit. Totally, yeah. Um, and that would be, I mean, that could be ent handled entirely on the Collider Wallet end, but if you wanted to make it more sort of like decentralized, you could use the the Noster messages, which I think is like a an interesting thing that we're seeing emerge. Like, um, so... Uh, there's this conference that's happening in Costa Rica all around Noster. And like every communication you get about the conference just happens through Noster DMs. You know, you don't even have to sign up with like an email to get notifications. Um, and that's pretty cool just from like a privacy perspective, you know, like you can, you can now um, communicate with people over these encrypted DMs without even having to give an email address, like no identifiable information. Yeah. That's uh, Nostrica. Nostrica. Um, no, I, I've, uh, I've experienced that flow cause I think I'm going to get down to Nostrica. Yeah. You pull the trigger as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's, I feel like it, it's, 
I haven't experienced this kind of like grassroots excitement about a technology since I like first discovered Bitcoin. Um, and I just kind of feel like this first conference is going to be special and I feel like I have to be there. Yeah. It's definitely, it definitely feels like, all right, if you're there, you're going to be at the ground floor or something. Yeah pretty miraculous and going back to like the paid relay thing many many people may hear this like oh like you're just trying to exploit uh this open protocol to make a profit and yeah it's true but that's sort of the beauty of the incentive system it's very similar to bitcoin where you're incentivized to plug in miners to reap the rewards of the block reward uh similar with Noster, you're incentivized to build good services that can get you a profit because people want it. Like, mm-hmm. there, there is this economic incentive to provide a good experience on top of this protocol. Yeah. And there's an, there's not only an economic incentive, but like imagine if Bitcoin didn't exist and you were trying to build Nostra, right? And you're like, all right, I'm going to set up a paid relay, but you have to, you know, I got to go through Stripe and you got to plug in your credit card. Like it just, it wouldn't work in the same way. Um, not only would it create a bunch more hurdles, but it's also going to create these like choke points all around the network based on um, kind of like centralized uh, payments providers. And I think the beauty of Noster is that we all recognize that Noster can be made a lot better through paid services. And there's this natural money layer for Noster that has emerged that is decentralized, happens at the speed of light, no barriers to entry, and that's Lightning Network. And it's like, it feels almost... um, like there's like, it's something special that these things like happened and merged in the way that they did. Yeah. Not really validates the thesis that many Bitcoiners have been talking about for many years is I mean, I'll just talk about me particularly mm-hmm. in the newsletter. Like when web 3.0 became a huge meme during the last bull cycle, I was like, this is completely stupid. Like it doesn't make any sense to mm-hmm. spin up blockchains for these particular web applications that have tokens attached to them that have a floating value uh, dependent on who's flowing, uh, try, trying to trade that token at any given point in time. Like I, I wrote newsletters two years ago that were like the real web 3.0 is not blockchains everywhere. It's combining open source protocols and just injecting Bitcoin into them, yeah. which Noster is a perfect example of that. It is a perfect example of it. And I think that, um, there for for so long there's been this idea that the only way to do decentralized social media was to do it on a blockchain and so i think there were all these different approaches that were tried and like i i i generally have an interest in free speech so i've kind of played around with all these platforms you know like steam deso bitcloud farcaster like i've used all of them just because i'm kind of curious um and they're there are maybe certain small advantages to putting everything on a blockchain, which we can get into and how those differ from, um, from Noster. But I think what's cool about Noster is, you know, Fiat Joff, when he created this like very simple protocol, it was an aha moment for a lot of people, myself included, where we said, oh, you could actually do this, the equivalent of decentralized social media without having any blockchain involved. And it can still be decentralized. And kind of the core idea was there was instead of having the, the database be the blockchain, you create these things called relays and have multiple databases that people can choose from. And that kind of optionality is what gives you the decentralization rather than having everything on chain. Yeah. Yeah. Never, it, 
it always came back to like the energy for me. Like it never would have made sense to have like proof of work chains, like expending a shit ton of energy just to secure these social media apps. Yeah. Bitcoin does that with the money, just create these distributed protocols for communications, which Noster is notes and other stuff relayed notes and other stuff, stuff transmitted, transmitted, by relays. transmitted by relays. Um, and similarly, like with RSS feed podcasting 2.0, mm-hmm. like RSS is open protocol, boom, lightning, public address in the RSS feed. Now people can stream us sats as they listen yeah. to this episode. Uh, Ghost, open source CMS. Thank you for playing around with it. Thank you. Shout yeah. out to Collider for, mm-hmm. for pumping uh, the bent paywall. Well, it's, I mean, it's just like, I've, I feel like I have fun using things like that because I'm always looking for excuses to pay for things with Lightning because it's a great experience and like doing it all from the web and just two clicks to access a uh, basically a paywall is like a really cool user experience that I wish more uh, I wish more publications had that option yeah Wall Street Journal Bloomberg yeah New York Times I don't read your rags many much anymore but there are times when I particularly Bloomberg it happens to me the most because they have a lot of good coverage of economic activity in different parts of the world and if I reach my five article limit the month i stopped reading bloomberg i totally. just wait till the next month and it's like they they'll ask you hey sign up for this five dollar month subscription which i don't want to do but i would actually pay like 50 cents to a dollar just to read the article yeah. you know um and i would probably end up you know i might do that a few times a month depending on the publication so i think that it actually it could be a good monetization route for them but really quickly i want to go back to sort of like the web3 approach versus the nostra approach and so having used a bunch of these protocols in the past, I think the one advantage you have to them is the the Web3 approach is basically to say, we're going to, you know, it like right now, Twitter is its own database, right? And everyone writes to that same database and reads from that same database. The problem is it's owned by a company, so they can shut you out and, and censor you. The sort of Web3 approach is saying, let's replace Twitter, the company, with this on-chain database. So it's not controlled by any one um, you know, company or individual. The advantage that you get there is that like you can, there's one canonical database that all these clients are looking at. So it's really easy to like switch between clients and still access all of your information, all of your followers, everything, right? With Nostr, it gets a little more complicated because there's this like third component of which relays are you using? So you might switch between clients, but if your relay set's not the exact same, you're not getting all of the same information that you got with another client. I think that ultimately that's a sort of like UX hurdle that can absolutely be solved. Um, and two, I think it's it's ultimately a much better solution because it gives you sort of more optionality, more redundancy. Um, and the idea of even doing all this stuff on chain, I think, is kind of inherently flawed because you either bloat up a chain that can't really handle all that information or you like spin up a new chain from scratch that's custom designed to do this. And those chains end up being super centralized. Um, they often have their own token that doesn't really make sense. Um, and you just create a lot of problems with that. Yeah, you mentioned Steam that, that brought back some memories. I mean, yeah. That was the f- first iteration of this attempted yeah. social media. It was a blogging platform. That it was would, like Medium on, on a blockchain, yeah. Yeah, shout out to uh, 
Dan Larimer. Dan Larimer. <laughs> the perennial scammer. Well, and but the, I will say, like, the thing that Steam, at least, was an aha moment for me was that you could switch between clients and still access, like, the same service. Um, and so I think that, like, that idea is quite cool and quite useful. But you do get that with Noster. Um, there's just this this added component of relays and making sure that that, like, relay selection is done well and that you are using the same relays across clients basically what i'm saying is you can still get a hundred percent of the user experience of any kind of like web3 um social media platform on noster and there's there's no token and there's no blockchain and i think ultimately those two things are super important and will allow noster to have more success in the long term yeah because with the on-chain web3 applications you just had this this forced tokenomics, yeah. this contrived like idea of like, oh, if we, you need to produce content in this way and uh, support content this way, and then we'll make the value of the token mm-hmm. go up. And it was really like a forced attempt at like a forced like monetization of these tokens that just never was going to work out at the end of the day. We're Noster. Yeah. yeah. The optionality, if you like a post, like you're not forced to interact with it in a monetary uh, fashion. You don't, have to, you don't have to zap a post. You don't, you don't to, even have to hold Bitcoin to use the network. No. You know? Um, it just, it's just like an added feature on top of it. Yeah. It's not like core to the mechanical uh, facilitation of the the platform. Yeah. Which are like tokenomics fucks up everything. Tokenomics does fuck up everything. And it's like, I think you... In Web3, you, you have a lot of people kind of like philosophizing about how, well, it, it drives this incentive model and blah, blah, blah. But like at the end of the day, some of that may be true to some extent, but the injection of a token creates like a speculative fervor around these things, whether you want it to or not. And that it does fuck up everything because it, it changes the way that people interact with it. It creates these like big hype cycles around the, like the usage of the product Um and it's not you don't get like an honest gauge of how interested people are in using these protocols because a lot of the users end up being there to like make money. Yeah. Yeah. It fucks up everything. <laughs> it does. It's and I I mean I, I'm particularly interested and very excited to sit down with you today because I think your experience in this space sort of coming back road to Bitcoin and Lightning specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen a lot of shit. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I guess as like background, I first got interested in the space when I was in college. I was studying abroad in Argentina and met some Bitcoiners down there. And this is like 2014 when there was much more interest in Bitcoin in Argentina than there was in the United States, um, just because of their economic situation, the inflation that was happening there. And I think the fact that so many people there uh, did like in, bought dollars and held dollars made them more comfortable with the idea of like, we need a money system that's outside of the control of our government. And so then I came back to college my senior year, I wrote my senior thesis all about like crypto and its use cases in developing economies um, that was focused on Bitcoin and stable coins. And then kind of like just continued down the rabbit hole, but definitely went the route of being much more, like crypto focused. Um, I definitely didn't grasp the sort of like Austrian side of, of Bitcoin um, 
early on in the way that I grasp it now. Like Bitcoin to me was really, really cool and, you know, always had been interesting, but I didn't understand this idea of like recreating money and the importance of that. Um, and so I was very involved in a bunch of like crypto projects. Um, ultimately I got a job at Multicoin Capital, which was what brought me here to Austin. So that was basically entirely web three, um, you know, journalist crypto focused. And then I also worked for a small, um, like product studio and proof of stake validator that was running, um, proof of stake, uh, mining, I guess you could call it across a bunch of different, um, chains. And so through all those experiences, I think I got a very good view into the web three world and especially the proof of stake world and how all of that functions. And that experience really like solidified for me, the value proposition of Bitcoin. Um, you know, over the years, as I learned more and more about Bitcoin, I, I came to understand it more deeply, but then also seeing the inner workings of like various proof of stake protocols and how centralized they really are and how decision-making really happens. Um, and how they kind of pay lip service to decentralization, but it's, it's not actually the case. Um, really just solidified for me why Bitcoin is like so unique in this whole world and why like crypto and web three are one thing and Bitcoin is something entirely different. And so ultimately that led to me just really wanted to focus all of my attention on that. And that's how I landed um, kind of in this space and then working at Collider. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's jump in. Like what particularly did you see that really drove home? Like, Oh, there's, there's a distinction here between what's going on in these proof of stake crypto world versus what's going on in Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, I think that in the, the sad truth of the matter is that there's just like, there are very well-intentioned people in the crypto and, and web three space, but the incentives that drive that side of the industry are just horrifically broken at the end of the day. Um, like the fastest way to, uh, get wealthy in crypto is to create a token and it doesn't need to be something that is actually useful to anyone. It doesn't need to be actually creating value. It's like this weird loophole where in, if a bull market is frothy enough, you can create something from scratch with no real like work or effort behind that, um, distribute it, get paid for that cash out and make a ton of money. And it's, it's like the a disgusting amount of money, a disgusting amount of money. And the, uh, human greed is, is strong, right? Like it's a, that, that part of it is very irresistible for a lot of people. And it's screwed up that you have, I, I think what, what is nice about Bitcoin is that like, if you want to build something in Bitcoin, it has to actually be useful. And it's, so it's harder to be building Bitcoin companies, right? Like there's fewer people who have made these life-changing amounts of wealth in just a couple of years in Bitcoin, because in order to do so, you'd have to build like a real company with a real business model and, and profit and all that. In Web3, you just see a lot of people who are able to um, kind of do that in this roundabout, like scammy way. And so that was definitely a big part of it. Like seeing that happen many times over in, in different ways, um, it just starts to like chip away at you. And you know, there's like you, it, it doesn't, 
it doesn't align with like my ethics and my views on the world and kind of the, what I want to be pouring my energy into. Um, there's a surprising amount of people from that world who make a, a ton of money and become super depressed um, because I think deep down they realize that they didn't make that in a way that was like deserving or they took advantage of people in the process of making that. Um, and so I just found in the Bitcoin world, there's, there's like a much more honest and um, like, I feel so good about the work that we do in Bitcoin. It means a ton to me. And I think it's like really net positive for the world. Um, and I didn't feel that way working in the web three world. Yeah. I mentioned I uh, didn't have a great night's sleep last night, but most nights I sleep fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't wake up stressing out that I'm scamming people, which yeah. is a good uh, a good feeling to have. It's not even a feeling you have. It's just you don't have those feelings of, oh, shit. Like, yeah. And, like, again, I think that, you know, this isn't an – I'm not talking about any, like, specific individuals or projects or people here because there are very well-intentioned people in that world. You know, there was a time when I really just thought that that was, like, the best approach to creating this technology that's that's better for the world – um, but I think when I was really honest with myself and took a step back and just looked at that side of the industry as a whole, you just see a lot of stuff that, that doesn't sit right with you. Um, and that just kind of on the, like, I guess the like money-making side, but then there's also, you know, being involved in the proof of stake world, you just see a lot of people who, or you see a lot of these, um, like chains, protocols, whatever you want to call them that claim to be decentralized. And it's like, you know, there's, there's a bunch of people in a telegram chat that's like maybe 20 people who are making really big decisions about um you know what happens with these projects like hard forks and um changes to the monetary policy and, and things like that that are happening in these very centralized ways yeah no that was during like the ico boom of like 2017 2018 like the leaked telegram chats like screenshots getting onto twitter of people being like all right we're gonna we're to game the system to pump the token oh yeah absolutely and it's like many people who are pretty well known in the space like in in these telegram chats and it's just like ah, yeah i don't think they sleep well but no but i think it just it's just so easy for a lot of people to to fall into that because they are able to turn a profit and like, yeah, it's just really easy. Um, and this, if I understand correctly, like it jaded you from the industry for a couple of years, like you stepped away. I was, no, I, I didn't uh, ever fully step away. I was working on the, um, the product studio and proof of stake validator. Um, but I was, I, I was a lot less publicly involved in the industry um, for that reason. So like, Kind of when I, um, uh, forget what year, I think it was 2018 that I left uh, Multicoin and joined Gray Mass, which was a product studio. And that kind of also co coincided with the, the market. market. Yeah, cooling down a lot. Um, so I wasn't doing as much, you know, when I was at uh, Multicoin, I was doing a lot of like public writing um, and, and stuff like that. Very like active on Twitter. I think I used to go after you on Twitter. You might have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that, that uh, that's probably true i feel like there's a there's a bunch of like bitcoin people um and it's funny too because like ryan gentry who mm -hmm. he and i worked at uh multi-coin together um it's cool to see him in in the lightning space now too but um yeah i just when i joined gray mass um i was much more in like a product kind of uh role and so i just wasn't doing as much public facing work 
But I also just felt like I had a lot less to say because at that time I was still, or I was kind of like wrestling with what side of the industry I wanted to, to be in, like, um, and trying to figure out whether there was something I could do that was much more focused on Bitcoin that could be impactful. And, um, yeah, so I think I just like, I, I was still in the industry, but I was less like involved for, for a while. And then it was really sort of within the last like couple of years that I started paying a lot more attention to lightning, started using it a lot more and got really, really excited about like an area of Bitcoin where I felt like I could, um, like contribute and be really excited about and do cool stuff that like advanced the ecosystem. Yeah. So now you're at Collider. What, what particularly about the lightning network excites you? So I think that the first time that I used the, the lightning network, it was like this aha moment because I'd used all the other like fast blockchains. Um, and it was faster than all of them. And it, you know, it was like, oh, wow, you can make payments truly at the speed of light peer to peer. Um, and you don't have to put any of it on chain. You know, it, like it makes Solana look slow uh, for doing these transfers. So that was just exciting to me because I, I think the idea of being able to to do things um, in like a much faster way is, is appealing. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was like just the user experience of, of using Lightning for the first time in probably two years it had been since I had used Lightning prior and the experience was not good when I first used it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I was like, okay, I think this is like really maturing. Um, and then just thinking through the possibilities of what you could do when Bitcoin went from being this like very, very hard monetary asset that was really slow to transfer around to being this hard monetary asset that you could, that became like 10,000 times more dynamic overnight. So thinking about like micro payments and streaming payments and um, like little mini payments to prevent spam and, and things like that. Just when I thought through those possibilities um, that Lightning enabled, I, I just realized there was like so much to work on in that space that, you know, like for the next several years, I, I figured that would be probably like the most exciting part of Bitcoin. Um, however, I also, I kind of joked that when I was like spending a couple of years just doing research, I was looking at like the top of the stack, which was Lightning Network. And then the bottom of the stack, which was mining, because I also became very interested in the synthesis of like the energy world with the Bitcoin mining world, which I'm still I still think it's fascinating, but I don't know as much about it. Yeah, I remember. God, it had to be like a year ago now at this point. Uh, AJ and Drew from Cathedral were telling me that they were talking to you like, Yo, you have to connect with Miles. Yeah, He's like really into this. Well, that all happened because I listened to your podcast with them and I was like, oh, these guys like these guys think about the world in a very similar way uh, as I do. And um, yeah, I just, I, I still think that that side of things, which is like how Bitcoin mining and energy in general, like come together is just this like massive, massive, massive part of things that is still feels very underrated. Extremely underrated. I mean, the whole every part of the stack is extremely underrated. I mean, that's yeah. our core thesis at 1031 is that still, even though we've gone through all these cycles, we've had this most recent cycle of these epic blowups of, <laughs> of monstrous proportion, still to this day, people don't realize the opportunity that exists in Bitcoin from 
a functionality utility perspective and then from like an investment perspective like like a bitcoin only vc fund is still viewed as like cute and mm. an anomaly and contrarian in the allocation space yeah. and, and quote unquote crypto which is like when you talk about lightning like all these applications that you just uh that you just listed off like peer-to-peer payments streaming payments paywalled content mm. paywalled api calls <laughs> like spam prevention yep like we're just scratching the surface like there's many more applications that we can't even fathom right now that will come to the fore via lightning and the mining and the intersection with the energy sector like mining is going to be part of the energy stack yeah like the biggest miners in the world will not be bitcoin first like people will just buy asics find cheap electricity and plug them in just the way the economics of mining work it's going to be the energy producers they have the access to the cheapest forms of energy yeah since they're creating it yeah they're going to become bitcoiners as well bitcoin is going to be like michael tanguma 1031 he likes to say this all the time like we're in that period like in the 90s where people like oh you're going to be an internet company and like saying an internet company today is like completely crazy every company is every every company is like in the future every company will be a bitcoin company like this whole concept of Bitcoin companies will be laughed at yeah. a decade or two from now because it's just like, oh, yeah, everybody needs Bitcoin. Everyone uses money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and I mean, to your point, you, you kind of briefly touched on this, but, like, Bitcoin has been very steady throughout all of these market cycles. And, like, sure, its price goes up and down, but it doesn't – The a lot of these other protocols just emerge out of nowhere and then blow up and then literally disappear um or you know basically disappear their price goes so low that they're zombies yeah and so for us at collider that that's been the motivation for um for building on bitcoin is that like bitcoin is the strongest foundation to build upon in this industry you know and if you're if you're like thinking long term about building here it's the only place that you should be building everywhere else you're kind of taking this platform risk where it's like you're 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 taking a double a double risk where you're saying like we have this product there's a risk in finding product market fit and all that but also we're building on you know whatever chain there's a risk that that chain like blows up has some major security flaw just like fades into irrelevance all that um with bitcoin we just feel so confident in bitcoin's long-term trajectory that that's where that's the only place where we're going to build yeah well let's jump into collider because it's a really cool product that it's pretty versatile too yeah so collider is kind of a family of products built on top of lightning network and now to you know an increasing extent nostr um we're doing a lot of stuff at the intersection of of lightning and nostr and we're um we're trying to in the same way that we've worked on making the user experience of lightning better we're working on making the user experience of nostr better but the core product of um collider is a or not a central, a uh, lightning native derivatives exchange. So, um, and in the future, we'll be building a lightning native spot exchange. And kind of the idea behind that is that we have an exchange and it is a centralized exchange, um, but the money that moves onto and off the exchange happens entirely over lightning rails. So what we want to do is change the idea of how consumers interact with exchanges. A lot of consumers use exchanges as wallets right now, like Bitfinex, um, 
at the last conference I was at, uh, Paolo said that 50% of their of the funds on the exchange are are just sitting there. They're not actively using trades. So basically 50% of people on Bitfinex are using it as a wallet. Um, we think that exchanges should be simply places where trades are executed. So the only time you should have money on an, ex- on an exchange is when it's in an active or open trade. And the way that we do that is we use Lightning to move money on and off. So you can open a trade directly from your Lightning wallet, which you control. That money moves over Lightning onto the exchange, so it happens instantly. And then as soon as that trade is finished, and you can even have this happen automatically, uh, those funds are withdrawn directly to your wallet, also over Lightning. And so not only does this happen like incredibly fast, but Lightning gets you this added advantage of, say you have like a margin position and you want to top that up, you can do that literally in real time, like sat by sat, just adding just the amount that you need to keep that trade safe, rather than having to take the the route that a lot of existing um, exchanges re- require you to do, which is like make a big deposit because it takes a while, it happens on chain, have that kind of sitting in the, um, you know, in the exchange waiting to be used like with collider you can use an exchange in such a way that your money is literally only on there when it actually needs to be on the exchange yeah you don't have like a bitmex situation where you're getting funds sent off the exchange every monday morning Mm -hmm. happens automatically and i think one thing that people don't really appreciate of these lightning first exchanges i think it's just like you and lm markets is Mm -hmm. anybody else in the landscape right now. No, I don't think so. Like for like if we're projecting forward, let's just say to the next bull market when uh, traditional institutional investors see the volatility in the Bitcoin price and they want to play the markets to take advantage of that volatility, like going through the advantages of building an exchange on Lightning compared to on chain, like something like a Bitmex or Bitfinex is extremely valuable for this type of investor. We use the example of topping up margin. Yeah. Being able to do that instantly is a massive benefit. When you talk about the advantage that brings, particularly investors moving large sums of money, Mm -hmm. like when you talk about arbitrage opportunities, if more of these exchanges pop up, but just being able to instantly make these trades is a massive advantage. It's a huge advantage. Um, and, you know, like I said, we're building spot exchange functionality because with Tara coming online and things like that, we want to be able to support the trading of, of other assets on there. And yeah, if you extrapolate several years into the future and you have like a robust ecosystem of, of um, kind of assets on top of Bitcoin, then getting, yeah, getting into and out of these exchanges that much more quickly um, and not having to hold money on there, just it changes the security model substantially. Yeah. Like what, what is the true added benefit? Like how would you, I mean, we just touched on it, but like to this institutional class, people moving and trading large sums of money. Yeah. Like, like maybe the light bulb hasn't gone off in their heads yet, but you have to imagine, like especially if you're like high frequency trading mm-hmm. and you want to do it like actual with actual Bitcoin and not paper exposure, like you kind of have to do it over lightning. Yeah, I think that right now these institutions basically use exchanges in the only way that's available to them, which is like putting a lot of money onto an exchange and then doing their trades from there. So kind of having a sitting balance and then using that to trade with. Because until kind of we came along, there was no other option for them to do that. 
what that does is expose them to huge amounts of counterparty risk. Obviously, we saw this in a huge way with FTX this past fall, where there was a number of funds that were holding huge amounts of money on that exchange and lost everything. It would be, I don't know the exact numbers, but for some of those funds, it might be interesting to look at like what amount of what they were holding on FTX was in an open trade versus what was just sitting there. And I bet you a lot of it was just sitting there. And so with the collider model, you know, if the exchange goes like bust, you, you know, you would still lose what was in an in open trade, but everything else would just be sitting in your wallet because you don't need to hold it on the exchange. And so I think as institutions start to realize that that option is there and they can eliminate their counterparty risk so significantly like that counterparty risk is is just it's it's very quantifiable in a dollar sense so and it's very prevalent throughout this space particularly yeah and has been for 15 years almost and i think what a lot of these institutions what happened with ftx was that so many of them saw ftx as this like very reputable company like they didn't worry about keeping their funds on there because it was funded by prominent VCs. You know, Sam was meeting with Congress, like FTX was sponsoring um, like Tom Brady and sports stadiums and all that. And so for them, I think it was this huge wake up call of like, even the exchanges that we consider the best of the best, the blue chip, we still are taking on massive risk by keeping our funds on there. So to give them an option that says like, you don't have to keep all your funds on there, I think is powerful, but it will take time for those institutions, I think to like understand that fully. Yeah. Slow, uh, slow moving institutions as we've come to find. Yeah. The wink of eye were, we're convinced that there was going to be an ETF uh, in 2014. <laughs> Here we are in yeah. 2023 still waiting. Yeah. Don't hold your breath for the ETF freaks. No, but I guess that's the other, I mean, imagine the biggest hurdle for an exchange like Collider is just creating liquidity on the book. Yeah. What's, what's that been like? So we just officially launched Collider this past fall. So it's still very early. Um, we're in the <clears> process <throat> of onboarding market makers right now, which is probably like the first step. Um, but I think it's going to have to be kind of like a slow and steady process, you know, um, sort of like, I've told people, you know, when you compare Lightning Network to other kind of like Web3 protocols, it looks a lot different in that, um, you know, you look at like Olympus DAO or something that was really big in the last cycle, right? The the chart looks like this. It goes up and then it comes crashing down. Um, whereas the Lightning Network chart, if you, you know, say you're just doing it by capacity, it kind of is this like very, very slow rise, but it, it doesn't come crashing down in the bear market. Um, and so I think with like, you are, we are seeing the growth of lightning network. We're seeing the onboarding of more users and, um, it's definitely happening, but it's happening slowly and steadily. And so we are just kind of focused on making sure that users of lightning understand that we exist, understand the advantages of using collider. And then if they want to engage in trading activity, they, you know, they have a venue to do that natively within lightning. Yeah. And then you guys are added these value added products. Again, it's a family of products. Yeah. And I, what I think one thing that you guys are doing <clears throat> that is extremely creative to bring market makers to Collider is this synthetic dollar product. Yeah. So we have the, the exchange is kind of the core product. And then we have some, these synthetic stable coins. And then we also have Collider Wallet, which is a um, browser based lightning wallet 
with a really easy to use and simple UX um, that I should say it's now it's a lightning and Noster uh, sort of <laughs> wallet. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of which one makes sense to start with. I guess the wallet, what we wanted to do was we just wanted to create a really easy to use experience for lightning users, like make it very simple to onboard, make it so that people didn't have to deal with like seed phrases or sort of the like really complex stuff. Collider wallet, basically you onboard with the username and password and you're onto the lightning network um, like that. There's a really like good UI that makes it easy. You can log into uh, lightning apps, you get a lightning address immediately, um, and you can hold Bitcoin on there. And then you can also hold balances in USD and um, euros. And the way we do that is by creating uh, what we call synthetic stablecoin. So this was an idea that I think... Um, I think Arthur from BitMEX was the first person to sort of articulate this. But basically the idea is that using derivatives, you can hedge Bitcoin and create uh, synthetic fiat balances that are just, you know, it's not a stable coin in like the token sense, but it's a balance that's pegged to a, a fiat currency. Yeah, you take a commensurate short position to hold in uh, the US dollar value. That exactly. You'd like to, that you'd like your sats to represent. Yeah, so for Collider Wallet, you can hold uh, your balance in Bitcoin, you can hold sats, and then you can also easily convert that to USD or, or Euro. And what happens on the back end is on the exchange, we create a, a hedged position on those sats that um, that then kind of shows up in your wallet as a, as a um, dollar or Euro stablecoin. And the idea behind this is that we, you know, the demand for stable coins in the industry, it's, it's clearly been demonstrated, right? Like regardless of, of how you feel about them and the fact that there's different centralization points, like people want stable coins and they use them. And so there aren't stable coins on Lightning Network right now. Um, and so we wanted to create a way to do that. And then kind of simultaneously as we were uh, doing our synthetic stable coins, Galois was working on stable sats, which is the exact same thing. And stable sats actually now plugs into Collider. But, um, you know, Galois is very like boots on the ground in El Salvador and they have Bitcoin Beach wallet, which is um, like one of the most widely used mobile wallets in that region. And they basically from being down there and talking to people realized that people wanted to hold balances in both Bitcoin and dollars. And so they created stable sats in order to serve that need. Um, and so I think that's kind of how we think about it too, which is that like, we want to give people the optionality, um, like we can understand why someone would want to keep some portion of their balance in a stable coin, especially for certain periods of time. And so we just make that really simple. Yeah. And again, going back to the market making utility that this provides, mm -hmm. it's a great way to bootstrap liquidity for the derivatives exchange. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Collider Wallet is sort of this like top of funnel because it's it's any user of Lightning could use Collider Wallet and find it really useful. Um, but on the uh, like the the engine driving those stable coins happens on the exchange. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. And again, like it's it's weird almost saying stable coins, right? Because it's like a stable position. It's a yeah. We call them like fiat balances. Or yeah, balances is probably what are, a better way to, to think about it. Yeah. Because like, like hedged positions. Yeah. Because like you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> Collider is fully centralized. You guys are going to be regulatory compliant and mm -hmm. all that. And you're providing this. You know, I don't think you're trying to 
uh, portray anything different. No, no. And I think that's important for people to realize. I mean, we have, we do get a lot of questions about that, which people are asking like, Oh, what, you know, smart contract platform are you built on or whatever? And we say like, we're not, we're, you know, even saying we're built on top of lightning network is a little bit, maybe not super accurate because it's like, we're a centralized exchange that is built on lightning rails. So we like to say we're lightning native because everything that happens on the exchange happens over lightning. But yeah, when you send money into, or when you execute a trade on collider, like that is, uh, you know, you, you are losing possession of those funds for the duration of the open trade. But what we do is we make it faster to get into and out of those things. Yeah. Um, and I think like, you know, we've talked internally a lot about the long-term vision for like, uh, exchange on top of Bitcoin and the different technologies that might present like cool ways to further decentralize the stack. And like, we're definitely interested in them. We're trying to pay attention to what's happening in that world as much as possible, but none of those technologies are ready for like widespread adoption. And so we kind of think of that as like something that we'll consider more in the future. What or something, something like a Fediment or, um, yeah, Fediment, I guess, I guess in some ways Fediment could work, but also like DLCs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess in my opinion, there is no, um, kind of like smart contract layer for Bitcoin that has emerged that like has consensus around being the, the right approach, you know, like with lightning, it's clear that that is the, that is it's, there's consensus that that's the layer for like payments on Bitcoin. Right. But with smart contracts, you have like RSK and you have liquid and then you have some like other stuff that's a lot more like per peripheral. Um, and so we don't think there's any like one layer that makes sense to build smart contracts on top of, but if that emerged and you had the ability to, to create Turing complete smart contracts, you could do an exchange um, in that way that would be more decentralized. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. But like going back to synthetic dollars versus mm -hmm. stable coins, what are the trade-offs there? So the trade-off right now is that you don't have a, a, a token that represents that stable coin. So if we're on Solana, for example, and I want to send you USDC, I can hold it in my wallet and then just send it to you and you receive that USDC. With the, the way that we're doing it, I hold a fiat balance that's hedged Bitcoin. Um, if I want to send that to you, the only way to do that is to close out that position that gets converted into sats. And then I send sats over the network because right now you can only send sats over the lightning network. Now the, the like conversion process of all that, it's super seamless. It happens on the back end. It's, it's very easy. Um, the problem is like, if I hold dollars and you want dollars that, uh, transfer still has to happen in sats over the network. And so it requires both of our wallet providers to support that functionality of giving you the hedged position. And so if you're using Collider Wallet and I'm using Collider Wallet, that's super easy. I can send it from my USD balance and you can receive it into yours. But if you're using Wallet of Satoshi, for example, that's going to arrive as sats. Um, and I think that like there are more wallets that are now supporting these functionalities. So um, that's one way to do it. The other thing is like when Taro comes online, we could tokenize those hedged positions and allow people to just send those around. And then kind of the exchange becomes more of like the mint for the stable coins. Um, I'm not necessarily sure what the right approach is. And then the other question is like, once you have say like USDC and USDT on lightning network, 
what are people going to prefer the the synthetic fiat balances or the sort of like classic centralized stable coins yeah taro are you taro bull it's a very um, controversial topic in this space it's it is funny because i think that maybe you hang out in like like your uh bubble is a little bit more like hardcore maximalist than mine like i don't necessarily think of taro as that controversial i think for a lot of people who are building on lightning there's a general excitement around it um i'm excited about it but i i do see where like the hesitation comes from um there i think it's good to have skepticism about like does this introduce any vulnerabilities to the like security model of lightning and bitcoin um let's be hyper aware of those but then also you know i think people have hesitation around like just what the ability to mint tokens on lightning network does to like what i talked about with web3 right there's just a lot of um there's a big incentive to be greedy when that's available to you so i think we need to be aware of that but also like it's in the same way i feel about like ordinals which is that like it's going to happen that ability is going to be open to people eventually i don't want to be like the I don't think anyone can be the police of what happens on Bitcoin. So um, we we just see it and, and try and contribute in the way that that we think like makes sense. Yeah. You don't want to be the Luddites. I mean, I, I wrote the newsletter last night had to do with I read it inscriptions. Yeah. And I thought it was I thought it was a good take. Thank you. Yeah. Essentially, like I may not think I don't think that uh, inscriptions are particularly interesting. I don't think the NFTs are really valuable at the end of the day, but it is what it is. Like yeah. we activated SegWit, which increased the block size limit to four megabytes. And then we activated Taproot, which made it cheaper to make certain types of transactions and enabled the ability for people to inscribe data into the chain. Like you have to live with the decisions that were made in the past and you can't there's nothing that you can do yeah, to stop think, people from doing it. Like, yeah, I may not like it. I may not find it interesting. I don't think I'm going to be inscribing anything or trading NFTs uh, that were inscribed into the Bitcoin blockchain, but it's possible. What is possible, people will do, whether you like it or not. Yeah, and I think that the, I guess the outrage around it hasn't made a lot of sense to me because it's like, the like I said, there's no Bitcoin police. No one gets to decide what gets done on top of that. If it's possible, people can and will do it. Um, and they like the the market is going to provide some guidance there, right? Because they have to pay if they want to <laughs> if they want to do this. And like I trust the market a lot. So this sort of like short term, like crazy increase in fees or anything like that, I, I just don't think it's it's anything to worry about. Um, now, granted, I know probably a lot less about this stuff than a lot of other people do. Cause I'm not particularly interested in NFTs, but I don't see a lot to worry about there. No, neither do I. I mean, if anything, the, the whole inscription craze and seems to be tampering a bit, maybe it's just a lull mm -hmm. in the overall fervor around it. But if anything, it just pulled forward full blocks. Cause like if we believe Bitcoin is going to succeed in the way many of us believe it's going to succeed, which is massively like eventually the blocks were going to fill up anyway, with just pure economic transactions as more totally. people come on. So you're going to get four mega, mega, mega block, mega block, megabyte <laughs> blocks uh, at some point in the future. I mean, if anything, inscriptions pulled that forward a bit, at least temporarily, who knows if they'll continue to stay full moving forward. 
Um, and then you can argue like, oh, maybe like, is there a trade off of having fuller blocks sooner as opposed to later? But at the end of the day, I think it's inconsequential. And in again, that's run. purely a market driven uh, phenomenon, right? Like yeah. n- no one, no individual person is going to be able to say when and how full blocks happen. So I think the market will decide. And I mean, like you're pretty involved in the mining industry. So like are the companies you're involved in, like how do they feel about th- this? Um, I mean, we'd love more revenue. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I've got, I've got miners plugged in. I've yeah. been going into my brains pool and seeing the, uh, the average reward I've been getting over the last two weeks go up and I don't hate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think like that's interesting to to consider. Like from the miners' perspective, it seems like, um, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, that's one thing I, I get. I mean, this is a debate that's been raging in Bitcoin for quite a bit. I mean, a lot of people were pissed that Segwit got activated because it did increase that that block size limit to four megabytes. Many people, Luke da- Luke Dasher, most famously, think we should have something like three hundred sixty three kilobyte uh, kilobyte blocks. I can't say. Why do I keep adding block to <laughs> the data sizes here? Um, and I, I actually probably do lean towards more, uh, more towards the Luke Dasher side of things where I actually think like smaller blocks are probably better for the long-term longevity. But again, we made the decisions that we made in the past. We have to live with it. And that's what I said last night in the newsletter. Like I think smaller blocks just decrease the probability of an eventual centralization event of full nodes yeah they also pull forward full blocks even further yes yeah in a fee market uh sooner as well you could argue um the other in the spectrum four megabyte oh god damn it four (laughs) megabyte blocks uh i don't think they make full node centralization uh like a foregone conclusion but they, they certainly do increase the probability that you could have node centralization in the future, but then you couple in like bandwidth cost getting lower, high speed internet getting more accessible. And so there's like these trade offs, and yeah. you're never going to find a perfect block size. It's just whether or not four megabytes, set it right, uh, is going to keep the probability of node centralization low enough that you could be comfortable as a user yeah. and a company building on this in this space. Yeah, for sure. And which is why I just don't think like, like you said, the, these decisions have already been made and these changes are already live. So like we have to live with what is live now. And that's why I don't think there's that much use in like kind of moral grandstanding about inscriptions or, or this or that. I think it's like the, either you have faith that the market will figure this out or you don't. Um, and I do. I do as well. Yeah. No, it's actually somebody. Uh, it's funny because I, I stayed out of the fray. Like I made it clear that I don't find JPEGs on Bitcoin particularly interesting, but I didn't mm. say like people shouldn't be doing this. Like you're corrupting the chains. Like I think early on with this ordinals inscription crazy, I was like, hey, it's possible people are doing it. Like, yeah. I think there was like an initial reaction, like, fuck this. But it was like, it's possible people are going to do it. You just, it's like surfing. You just got to like go with the wave. Totally. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Like you just got to ragdoll, let the market figure things out. Um, and I completely forgot where I was going with this, <laughs> but I mean, I think also like, so it, it is hard for me to 
really like wrap my head around the excitement around NFTs, like both in the Web3 world and the Bitcoin world. Like it's just not something I'm like that keen on. But like I know people who are super stoked about NFTs, right? And I know people who can't, you know, created their first crypto wallet and all of that because of NFTs and like artists who got into this world because of NFTs. So even though it's not for me, I know there's obviously something there that's really exciting to people. And like I told you this, but it's not a full flesh theory, but I'm seeing something happen right now with like ordinals, Noster, Lightning. That's sort of like there's this equivalent of Web3 ecosystem developing around Bitcoin, but it's done in a way that makes a lot more sense, you know, which is that like the sort of the social layer isn't on a blockchain. It doesn't have to be, but it just like integrates very seamlessly with uh, Lightning Network. The like kind of content layer around like value for value and podcasting 2.0 also not built on chain in any way, but like seamlessly integrates with the payments. And then you have uh, inscriptions, which I know a lot less about, but like I saw that DZ did this thing where he was like, you know, you could buy the inscription using lightning and then uh, like it gets connected to your Noster account and, and all that. And like, I just think it's cool to see that kind of stuff. I think it's cool that like developers are really excited and they're playing around with these things and that you're getting more like organic activity that at its base layer has Bitcoin as the money. Yes. And I remember what I, the point I was getting to when I lost my train of thought, which was I've been putting this out there and I, I, I won't take credit for, um, running with this thesis, Pierre Rochard was the first one who introduced it to me, uh, which is that you can apply Jevons paradox to Bitcoin UTXOs. And I wrote a newsletter two years ago before Taproot was even uh, activated. Like Taproot is going to confirm this Jevons paradox because Jevons paradox is, it's a paradox because you think uh, it's typically applied to oil and gas. If you have a commodity uh, and you become more efficient with that commodity, hydrocarbons, uh, you expect since you're efficient, you can do more with less that you will use less. But what you find is that it creates so much utility that you mm -hmm. actually use more because it has this step function improvement of productivity that more and more people want to leverage. You can apply that to a Bitcoin UTXO and like Taproot did the same thing. We found a way to do things more efficiently Yeah, uh, with the transaction space, which is going to drive more activity, which is what inscriptions are a, a product of. And so even though I don't like NFTs uh, and I don't find much value in them. I think the thesis that I put out there a couple of years ago, riding on the the shoulders of Pierre Rochard uh, is being validated totally. by this. Yeah, no, right. that's really interesting. And like, I think that, um, you know, like one of the things that excites me about what we're doing at Collider and, and with the wallet is like, we think about um, lightning is sort of, you're like lightning is like your internet wallet. You know, it's like Bitcoin is the native money of the internet. Lightning is how you move that around at the speed of light. And that's why we created this um, like browser wallet, because it means that you can kind of just like do your browser activity and have this very seamless lightning experience woven into it and lightning and Noster. So it's like you can log into applications using the extension. So no usernames and passwords. So lightning login or Noster login. And then, you know, you can like buy an article in just a couple of clicks. You can uh, send a zap to another user like directly from from your wallet. You can send a payment to another user. You can buy an NFT if that's your thing. You can 
sell an NFT, if you're an artist and like all of that happens, you know, with Bitcoin as the money and like as someone who cares deeply about Bitcoin and wants Bitcoin to succeed, like I just love seeing that adoption and I love seeing it happen on Lightning because the user experience is like awesome. Yeah, it's getting better. People are still sleeping on all this, though. They're definitely sleeping on it. Like, what would you say to people out there are still like Bitcoin's cute. Lightning doesn't have any. Like, we'll use the perfect example of Bitcoin locked up on Lightning versus like DeFi protocols. Like, yes. It's such an apples to orange comparison. Yeah. Eh. For I mean, no one like does a better job than Lynn Alden of debunking that. She wrote an article um, that I can't remember what the name of it is, but she she published it on on Swan, I think. Um, where she talks about why that comparison doesn't make any sense. I mean, I think to the Bitcoiners who aren't using Lightning, I would say get Collider Wallet. You can do an on-chain deposit. So you can take, you know, uh, Bitcoin that you have on chain and immediately get sats on Lightning. And then, you know, we created like a Lightning onboarding guide with uh, a bunch of like applications you can use. And it's like, if you're a Bitcoiner who hasn't yet used Lightning, get on there, give it a try play around with some of these applications and see what you can do with lightning. Um, that's step one. If you're someone who's kind of like outside of that whole system and you think like, you know, you're, you're still skeptical about Bitcoin generally um, and lightning as well. I, I guess my, my suggestion would be the same is like, use it, you know, um, like if you're excited about, web three and you've used some of those applications, but you haven't tried out lightning yet. You're, you're missing out on what I think is like some of the most exciting stuff happening signal. Yeah. And like real, um, like there's a lot of really incredible user experiences and it's not to say that lightning doesn't still have issues and there's more to be solved. Nostra has a ton of issues, but these things are, are getting better and better. And they're now at the point where depending on how you access the network, but like, I'd feel pretty comfortable onboarding, you know, like, I don't know, one of my siblings who who isn't into crypto uh, directly onto Lightning using Collider Wallet, and I feel confident that they could use it and have a good experience. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool because you guys have the suite. Like, not only do you make it easy to sign in using your Noster private key um, or to automatically pay Lightning paywalls when they uh, populate on a mm-hmm. particular web page like TFTC every once in a while. <laughs> um, but you have the suite of apps too that you can connect to. Yeah. Like Bit refills integrated. Uh, Stacker News. Stacker News. Yeah. Um, there was this one called micropay.ai, which is like allowing you to access some of these like AI services, just paying like per individual query. Um, podcasting 2.0 apps. Um, you know, all sorts of things. And then I think the other thing is like, if you're really interested in like free speech and decentralized communications, then like you can also just access Noster. You don't have to hold any Bitcoin to use it. Um, but probably eventually you're going to want to get some Bitcoin. Or if you start using Noster and start posting good stuff, like people are going to send you Bitcoin yeah. and eventually you're just going to have some. So um, I like, I think that's, what ex- a lot of what excites me about Noster is like people are just gonna they're they're going to be brought into the Bitcoin ecosystem by virtue of just using Noster. I've been zapped five hundred thousand sats in the last week. No way. Yeah, that's insane. Half a million sats freaks. Do you have the? You must have the Damas uh, test flight version, right? No, I've got the iOS version. No, that but the uh, the regular iOS version I don't think has zaps yet. 
No, I can't zap from Domus. People zapping me. Got it. Okay. So yeah. I just uh, put my Ellen address into my profile. Yeah, yeah. So people can can zap me. Yeah. I have to go on like Nostagram to zap others. Yeah. Using Collider Wallet. Yeah, or like uh, yeah, Snort. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, like again, like Collider Wallet makes it so that it's just like it's it's literally like two clicks. Um, I think I want to zap and confirm. confirm. Yeah. Yeah. And. This is actually interesting. So I feel like when I was uh, several years ago in the industry, when I first got exposed to like a lot of Nick Sabo's writing, there was a very famous piece he wrote about micropayments. Do yeah. you know the one I'm talking the mental about? Mental transactions are too much. Yeah. And I, think I don't, I don't want to say, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to say I disagree with Nick Sabo on one of the biggest Bitcoin podcasts, <laughs> but like maybe in this one area, I because disagree my with personal experience is that it doesn't like my personal experience is that the seamlessness of lightning makes it so that I don't even think about it. I'm just like, boom, great, easy. Um, and I think like I saw, you see that on stacker news, you're seeing that with zaps, you know, I'm seeing it with like the TFTC paywalled content, but I've found that, to me, Lightning has created the first experience where the um, the usability is so clean and quick that micropayments actually make sense. So I guess I wanted to ask you, like, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think, again, I don't want to disagree with Nick Zabo <laughs> on my podcast either, but I don't know, it was like, that was like the biggest pushback with the uh, the paywall on the bet. It's like mm -hmm. nobody's going to use it. Last, uh, last Friday's article was the most paid for article and like more and more people are beginning to interact with I actually think Noster is playing a big part interesting in that where people are on Noster set up with lightning wallets and if I syndicate it there they're more likely to go through the process of actually paying the invoice but yeah no I think podcasting 2.0 too like yeah. if you can set it and forget it like I can pull up my Zeus node right now and I can almost guarantee you you'll see a bunch of transactions like eight sets 10 sets yeah. two sets 20 sets like those are fractions of a penny that people are just streaming to my node yeah. every minute of every day. Like maybe it is niche and maybe the Zeba's thesis will be proven right in the long run. But as of right now, people are certainly sending microtransactions. Uh -oh. Yeah. I guess like when That's, I think about like even before Noster, you know, when I had like I had Collider wallet set up, I had sats in there and I pull up a TFTC article and it says like 25 cents, like maybe there is some little like transaction, um, like mental transaction that goes into that. But generally I'm going somewhere to read an article that from the headline or whatever else I've seen, I know I wanna read. And like, if the cost was $5, I'd probably weigh that a lot. But like for 25 cents, when I know it's gonna take me two clicks, it's there's very little mental transaction costs. Yeah. If it was 25 cents and I had to enter a credit card, different story. So it's like, do you, what do you think has changed that? Cause for me, it feels like lightning itself with how quick and how cheap and how fast it is. Well, so for TFTC, for our paywall, I actually bumped it up. I three X the price of 75 cents a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. just to see if people would pay that much for yeah. it. Um, and they have, we've, we've, Obviously, we've got more sats, but most importantly, we've had the same amount, if not more, people actually paying the paywall. Interesting, which great to see. Like that, like trying to figure out what is that price point that people are willing to pay. And as right now, seventy-five cents seems to be a nice, um, a nice area for us, particularly. But uh, originally, when it was twenty-five cents, I had this idea 
of a gumball machine. Mm -hmm. Like going back to like when you're a kid, you put a quarter in the gumball machine. Like I just wanted to create that experience on the web. Yeah. It was just easy. Like you're at the barber shop. There's a gumball machine in the corner. Like dad, give me a quarter. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, here, take a quarter, put it in. Yeah. Like you similar, even have the little, the little, uh, like yeah, confetti little, that pops up. Yeah. So like that was, that's why I set it at 25 cents. Originally it was just to recreate that mm -hmm. gumball machine experience with content on the web. And it seems where you get that instant gratification. You turn the knob, the gumball starts swirling around here. You click two buttons and boom, the content's there. Yeah. And like, I think that how much makes sense to do in those situations is going to depend a lot on the publication, right? Like you've built a lot of trust with your audience. We know that you're writing that article. We've seen a bunch of the free ones and we're like, yeah, this makes sense to pay for, right? If it was a random article on New York times where I don't know who the author is, but the headline looks kind of interesting. Like maybe I'm, maybe there's a little bit less of an investment, but I don't know. I, I feel like it's like, I've started to suspect more and more that like micropayments really could be a thing enabled by the lightning network. Yeah. And even if it's not like person to person, uh, I want to be clear, not person to person. I'm using person to person um, intentionally instead of peer to peer, like micropayments for like automatic API calls, like peer to peer API calls makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Like that's something API uh, services are obviously very useful to people and monetizing those as granularly as possible with you just pay for what you call makes a lot of sense and yeah. if you can automate that and pay half a penny per api hit like that makes a lot of sense to me yeah i agree um so even maybe there's like this peer to, or person to person mental transaction that happens but when it comes to like the direct utility of an api call and paying for that like having the person who created that API and operates that API setting the price and you just knowing like, all right, every time I hit this, I got to pay for it. And yeah. It's so useful to me that, yeah, obviously it's worth paying for it. Yeah. And I think like setting, a, like being able to have settings in the background that allow you to just set, set limits and stuff like that. Like one idea that we were playing around with early on with um, Nasser was like right now in order to, like you can't just put an image on Nasser. You have to host that image somewhere. Um, and so we were thinking about like, oh, what if we made it really easy to just like host images, uh, on Noster via Collider wallet, but we required people to pay in order to do that, you know, pay some small fraction so it doesn't get spammed or whatever. Um, and like we, we didn't end up building it cause we were focused on other things, but like, I still think something like that could be interesting, especially if it's like, you know, you have a bunch, say Damas creates an in-app wallet you've got a bunch of sats loaded up in there and you set a setting that says like, yeah, pay five sats every time I upload a picture. Uh, don't go over a hundred sats in a day or something. I don't know. Um, and then you don't even have to think about it on a individual basis, yeah. but you could still play around with different models. Yeah. Totally. And I think um, one thing we've recently integrated at TFTC is the, we're using mid journey to create our thumbnails mm -hmm. and I pay, I don't even know what I pay per month um for the subscription the mid journey to be able to create these images but i'd much rather pay per image created totally like just have direct connection with mid journey with my lightning wallet set those limits that you described per month um and just pay per image i generate yeah the lightning network and it's like whether you're talking about the new york times subscription or mid journey it's basically all 
it's like it's coming back to the same thing, which is saying that right now the internet monetization models and the payments providers that exist kind of force this um, subscription, subscription model. Yeah. yeah. But for most users, the preference will be to pay per usage. Yeah. Pay for what I consume. Yeah. And like, and then, yeah, maybe this is where like Zabo was getting at, like at scale, like pricing these products, whether it be an API call, an image from mid journey, an article from New York times, like on the business side of things, like pricing that, like there's maybe that becomes too much of a burden for them where maybe they don't even offer the service because yeah. it's like hard, but I could also see the other side of the coin where it's actually extremely profitable particularly like paywall. That's always been my thesis with the paywall content is like New York times, Bloomberg, wall street journal. You're going to make more money. If you I think people. so, because I'd, I'd, I'd pay like a much, I'd pay, pay like an inflated price to read a single article. If it prevented me from having to enter my credit card information, know that I have a subscription, know that then I have to go back and cancel that subscription, et cetera. Right. So like I said, if the f- subscription is $5 a month, I'll pay a dollar for an article. Yeah. And I might even do that more than five times a month. I just don't want to be locked into a subscription. No. And you can even back that, like back the value of that article into like the value of your time. Like how much is Mm -hmm. an hour of your time worth? Like if it takes three minutes to do the onboarding process and another five minutes to cancel, it's eight minutes. Like what is eight minutes? Is it it worth more than 75 cents for you? I would imagine so. Totally. On like an hourly wage basis. Yes. Yeah. So you're saving that time and, yeah, 75 cents, a dollar even, is probably worth it. Totally. Um, fuck, man, I'm so fucking bullish right now. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I maybe, like Parker said, I've been, like, distracted by Noster recently, but the, the Noster-Bitcoin crossover is just, like, like, I think about them having a very symbiotic relationship, so it's, like, I'm thinking about both and that's what gets me so excited about them. Well, that's like, that's the other thing too, is that particularly like Noster and lightning network and integrated, like this is what Bitcoiners should want to see. Yeah. It's like Bitcoin has gotten to such a point where the utility of the layered stack is such that it's so easy to integrate into these other protocols. Not only that, but it enhances the experience and makes it better. Like Bitcoin has inherent utility that is being validated in real time yeah by something like Noster. like yeah it's like w- w- wouldn't it be great if social media internet commerce and content were all powered by a bitcoin standard like any bitcoin is going to say yes like that's what's happening yeah in real time yeah like that's the thing like, like we can dis discount zaps just like throw zaps out the window which who knows? It could be a fad. Maybe people realize like six months from now that ah, maybe I shouldn't be like zapping all these sets. Like, yeah. I'd rather save this Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, paid relays. Mm-hmm. Like you only make the experience such that you can do it in a much more private fashion and much quicker fashion over the lightning network. Like that is inherent utility. 100%. That makes the experience on Nostra better. That is only enabled via the lightning network. Yeah. Which I mean, Parker can't hear me because the door <laughs> shut, but you should be bullish on this. I do see the like, oh, it's a distraction. Like people should be focused on like hardening these things. I would take the other side. Like, eh, I think things, yes, obviously they need to be improved, particularly on the lightning network, but I don't, um, I don't see a problem with beginning to implement Bitcoin in the other things. In fact, I think it's inc- 
incredibly encouraging uh, and and bullish for the overall use case. Because again, going back to like institutional investors, family offices looking at the space and like being like, oh, Bitcoin's cute. Like there's nothing happening. I think integrations like Nostra and Lightning could set off light bulbs like, oh, there is actually something happening. It's not really just cute. Yeah, I agree. I have one question for you, which is what is the thing that you want to see on Nostra that's most exciting to you that's not like a Twitter client or Twitter-like client? Well, a couple of bounties got distributed over the weekend. Um, like I love, like I want to figure out a way to get the bent RSS feed just directly injected into Nostra clients mm-hmm. where I don't have to go and post um, the bent every day. Yeah. Like it automatically, like there's a client that pulls each article from my RSS feed and just post it on my behalf. I give it credentials somehow, post on my behalf. I don't have to do anything. It's like, yeah. um, article title here syndicated like a, like a reader would do mm-hmm. in the old days. Um, well, they still do them, but on Noster. Uh, similarly with the podcast, like boom, RSS feeds out, syndicated directly to Noster. I give it credentials comes out on my behalf and yeah. it's there. I don't have to like go click and do anything. Yeah. Um, as for my business and my content and the media arm of what we're doing here, that's, that would be a massive value add for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think what Jack has talked about with these like different micro apps is pretty exciting. Like the idea that there could be kind of like these, that every app doesn't have to be a super app. You know, it doesn't have to be Twitter with like messages and profiles and and all that, that you could kind of take these smaller specific things, but because you control your identity on Noster, you can log into any of them and and keep your data. Um, That's very exciting to me. And I think that... What's an example of one of these micro apps? I mean, like, I think they're... Something that I think could exist today is like, basically all the clients are are trying to create this Twitter-like experience. Like it would be cool to have a client that was just focused on DMs. So it's basically just a, a messaging client, right? So that, you know, and it just provided a really clean and easy to use, uh, like Noster DM experience, kind of like email, but on Noster. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Like yeah. it should replace signal. Yeah. Should replace telegram. Yeah. The, I don't think you can do group chats on Noster yet. Not yet. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like there's so many of these things that it's just the, uh, the the amount of interest and the amount of like smart people who I'm seeing who are like tackling these problems in such a short period of time is is crazy. And if that trend continues, like I'm just incredibly bullish on what's going to happen in the Nostra ecosystem. There's there's so many people working on interesting ideas. There's this guy, I think his name is Mike Diggler, who's working on like a new protocol for for how relays are selected and like it's pretty above my head. But from what I can understand about it, it would it would improve things substantially and like this is just one guy who came in with a really good idea about how to improve it he's building it and like that's probably going to go live soon is he related to Dirk Diggler (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you get that a lot Mike do you know him no (laughs) (laughs) you'll have to have him on the podcast I will (laughs) I will no but yeah no I feel like especially when you consider today's environment around social media, Twitter files, Elon taking over Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, all these other social media companies 
being proven to have like state actors embedded in their companies censoring individuals. It seems like the last six months have been like a state of despair uh, in the social media sphere specifically. And uh, yeah, I sent this note over Noster. I still don't know what the tweet yeah. note, whatever it is. Uh, over the weekend, like I, I truly think Noster is like a black swan where people have this narrow view set of like, oh, like we need to fix social media. Like somebody like Elon needs to take over Twitter and just like yeah. bring back free speech. It's like, no, like it's not going to happen. Like it's been corrupted beyond repair. You need to build it. Like, Buckminster Fuller, you don't fix it from within. You need to build a whole new system that is completely separate from the one you're trying to fix. And I think that's what Noster brings. And again, social media is just one application. It's a communications protocol. Like I, I do think it is going to enable a landscape where we build these experiences, whether it be social media, messaging, uh, syndication of content that mm -hmm. look completely different than the landscape that exists today. Yeah. And I think that, I think that people self censor on existing platforms more than they probably even themselves are willing to acknowledge. I think that the like overarching rule set weighs on people in a, in like a lot of ways. Yeah. Oh, I certainly do. Yeah. I mean, even like, like, you know, you're I like, can't should post I talk about Noster? Because I don't know if that's going to get me shut up. Right. I think I might be shut up and for talking about Noster. Yeah. Or people just aren't like my tweets anymore. But <laughs> no, I mean, we experience it with YouTube. I can't put half the episodes on YouTube because Susan Mozeki, even though she's stepping down, does not like some of the conversations we have and like that's show. that's a crazy thing when you think about it yeah like it's it's ridiculous and so yeah i that that i think is why i feel that this project is so important um and like it's you know the most important technology project on earth is bitcoin and fixing the money that's the most important thing we can do but i think free speech would be the next thing in my opinion well that's why we fucking have it outside the studio. Fix the money, fix the world. Like I don't think Noster would be as I would be as hopeful for Noster if Bitcoin didn't exist. Because again, going back to like this incentive, like you always had this bootstrapping problem with these distributed systems, whether it be BitTorrent, uh, podcasting, uh, and now social media. How do you fucking monetize? Yeah, like you have this literal protocol layer that just fits right in it's like oh this is how you do it yeah it's like you, you i think everyone is questioning like all right what is the incentive system to get people to run relays to get people to provide this infrastructure and all that and it's like the incentive system is that you just create a market for it and we're actually able to do that on Noster from day one because we have bitcoin in the lightning network if that weren't there the frictions to being able to exchange money within the system would be too high to allow a real market to develop around these things. So that I think is why I feel like very um, uh, positive about the trajectory that the Nostra is going to go. Cause I think it allows these market dynamics to just take place from day one. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. What should we, what should we leave the freaks with? I think that if I, I mean, this is obviously a, a podcast that a ton of Bitcoiners listen to. And I think I'm sometimes surprised by the amount of Bitcoiners I meet who like haven't used lightning at all yet. Um, and, or, and now probably haven't used Noster. So if you're a Bitcoiner and you care deeply about Bitcoin, then I think give lightning a try, give Noster a try, 
you know, you don't have to stick around and keep using it if you don't like it. But I think it's, uh, it's cool to see this stuff that's out there. And like, we were all long-term hodlers and all that, but like, there's some really cool stuff happening that is like Bitcoin being used as money in these real digital economies. Um, and I think more people should experience that. I sent it. I sent it. <laughs> I have. Yeah, it's like to create, like when people are like lightning sucks, I'm like, dude, I have it implemented in every part of my business. Like it works. Yeah, I use it every day. <laughs> yeah. Like I haven't had a payment fail completely in a long time. Neither have I. Yeah. I, I, I think via podcasting 2.0, I think I use lightning every minute of every day. Yeah. <laughs> there like, you go. Literally. Yeah. It, like it's allowed me to stack a lot more sets than that's the other thing too. Like if you can set up your business in a way where you're compatible to lightning network and you're, implementing these business models, podcasting 2.0, uh, you put your Ellen address on Noster so people can zap you. Like you can accumulate more sats. Absolutely. And at the very least, like you can have some sats that you can then go like spend, um, and send to other users or like, like I, I can't tell you the number of people who I've onboarded now where I'm like, give them access to collider wall. And I'm like, let me send you some sats to get started, you know, just to like kickstart their ability to participate in the lightning economy. Yeah. Yeah, you do that. You send them a link to like a paywall banner, like pay for this. And like, wow, <laughs> I need to go buy Bitcoin. That is one of the first things I usually do. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> Miles, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We got to do this much more often, especially since you're right here at the comments. Absolutely. All right. That's all we got today, Pete. That's all we have today, freaks. Peace and love. Dickie!